Hi, Indelible Grace Church. My name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors at Indelible Grace Church, and this is actually a re-recording of the sermon that I preached yesterday. This was November 29th, um, 2020 at San Felipe Park. Our live stream went down, so we lost um, the second half of the sermon. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the sermon again. I'm in my uh, study right now, and um, we're going to get this up on our regular channels for those who are not at the park so you can listen to the whole thing. So um, I'm going to start by reading our text. This is from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God. So we're nearing the end of the Gospel of John. And the past few weeks we've been looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. First he appears to Mary Magdalene. And then to the disciples, this is what Pastor Michael went through last week. And today we're going to look at his appearances, his appearance to one specific disciple, Thomas. And before I go further in the sermon, I want to point out that Pastor Michael also preached on today's passage back in April. And this is an excellent sermon. I heard from multiple people that this was such a good sermon. If you have doubts, if you have questions about Christianity, Listen to the sermon. Um, this is what people said. So I re- highly commend Pastor Michael's sermon on this passage to you. This is back in April. You can find this on the IGC website. You can find it on op- Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify. And in it, Pastor Michael focuses on what to do with our doubts. Um, and today, uh, I'm going to go through the same passage. I'm going to approach it a little differently than he did Um, Today, we're going to look at how Thomas embodies the disbelief that we all have and how, like him, we're we're to respond to this risen Christ the same way that Thomas did. So as I begin, I have a couple questions for us. Um, First, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, does your life reflect the fact that Jesus really is risen from the dead? To quote our friend Lecrae, He says, Paul said, if Christ ain't resurrected, we've wasted our lives. Well, that implies that our life's built around Jesus being alive. This is in reference to 1 Corinthians 15. A question for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers. Does our life reflect the fact that Jesus is alive? Is your life built around the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead? And if you're still considering the claims of Christ... This is the question for you. What do you do with your doubts, with your questions about Christianity? And what difference would it make to believe in this resurrected Christ? 
So for both groups, this text speaks to us today. Now, as we begin, I want to go over a really quick character sketch of Thomas. So we know that he was one of the 12 original disciples, and we don't know a whole lot about him. The, the Gospels don't tell us a lot, but there are a few passages that tell us what he was like. He was loyal. He was devoted. He was stubborn. He took things literally. And these characteristics mesh well with the picture that's painted of him in today's passage. Now, the fact that Thomas's story is in the Bible is that means this is a gift for us because the Lord wants us to know that if we have questions and if we have doubts, we are not alone. Just like Thomas, we have unbelief and stubbornness. And the Lord knows this. Who of us has a perfect track record of unwavering faith in God and belief in his promises? Who of us has never questioned the wisdom of God? Who of us is always wholeheartedly, joyfully, unquestionably following Jesus into every situation and every circumstance that he leads us into? I dare say that not a single one of us not myself, not anyone that's going to listen to this message. No matter how long that you've been in this uh, faith, no matter how good or how difficult your life has been, none of us has a perfect track record of total belief and trust and devotion to the Lord. And if that is us, maybe we can resonate with what Emily Dickinson wrote. We both believe and disbelieve a hundred times an hour. And this keeps faith nimble. So this is what we see in today's text on a micro level. There is a disciple who is both believing and disbelieving in a span of just a few moments. And our text is a gift to us. This is the true story of a man who could not believe until he came face to face with Jesus. And like us, we have both doubt and faith. Like Thomas, we have both belief and disbelief. And I hope that we'll receive this text today with a desire to know Jesus as he really is, as the Savior who is risen from the dead. So we have three points today. Um, they are in your bulletin. If you go to our website, you can find them here. Number one, the way of disbelief or the way to doubt. Number two, the heart of Christ toward Thomas. And number three, the peace that we have when we believe. Our first point, the way to doubt or the ways that we can disbelieve. So when we look at the text, it tells us that Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples a week prior to what the happenings of today's text. They go to Thomas, these disciples, and they tell him, Thomas, we have seen the risen Lord. He's risen from the dead. Now, Thomas, being a very reasonable and rational, rational person, says this in verse 25. Unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. We have in these words a way to express our skepticism and our doubts. And perhaps these are not the best words, but whatever we're feeling when we feel doubt, we can know that we are not alone. And in this point, I want to point out uh, two different ways in which we doubt. Whenever we come to a crisis point, 
whenever we're questioning the things that we've learned and the things that we've leaned on, we can respond in two ways. We can respond in a disbelieving way, and we can respond in a believing way. So first, this disbelieving doubt, this unbelieving doubt. This is a type of doubt that you have when you want to doubt. Look at the way that Thomas records or words his response to the disciples. He says, unless I see, I will never believe. The word unless is a conditional word. And then he uses the word never. This is an absolute term. Unless and never. What's Thomas saying here? He's saying that certain conditions need to be met in order for him to believe. The testimony of, of his friends is not enough. Now, that in itself is not bad. There's a, there's a type of skepticism that is good and it's healthy. We should exercise discernment. We should be thoughtful. We should use the mental faculties that the Lord has given us. But have you ever considered this? Sometimes we don't believe because we don't want to believe. Sometimes we entertain our doubts and our questions because we want a reason to not believe. Have you ever wished that something were true? Maybe you have. I know that I have. The songwriter Aaron Tate, um, back many, many years ago, he wrote a song called Shifting Sand that contained these lyrics that I think articulate very well what's going on in us when we have this type of disbelieving doubts. Here's the song. Sometimes I believe all the lies so I can do the things I should despise. And every day I am swayed by whatever is on my mind. I hear it all depends on my faith, so I'm feeling precarious. The only problem I have with these mysteries is they're so mysterious. I've begged you for some proof for my Thomas eyes to see. A slithering staff, a leprous hand, and lions resting lazily. A glimpse of your backside glory. And this soaked altar going ablaze. But you know I've seen it so much. I've seen so much and I've explained it away. What have you learned to explain away? In psychology, we call this confirmation bias. This is the tendency to interpret things in a way that reinforces what we already believe or what we want to believe. Or in the context of today's passage, confirmation bias is, is us believing something that we don't want to believe. or, or want, It's us not believing something that we don't want to believe. And apart from the grace of God intervening in our lives, we are always going to find a way to justify our beliefs or our lack of belief. How often do we let our own preferences rule our actions and our thinking? When we have doubts, we have to ask ourselves this. What is underneath my doubts? What's driving my skepticism and my aversion to propositional truth? This is disbelieving doubt. And then there is another type of doubt, which is honest doubt. As a pastor over the years, I've had a chance to talk to people as they've shared with me their questions and frustrations about the Christian faith. And I don't always have answers to the, their, their questions. Um, in fact, I often don't. Um, but I count it an honor to be a part of that, this faith process. 
And one of the most encouraging things for me when these folks talk to me is to hear how they how these folks are sincerely seeking the truth. They're asking questions with the intent of understanding in a way that buttresses their faith. And they believe that what they believe is strong enough to be stress tested. And this is why they can ask these honest questions. And even when their questions aren't answered, they still commit to the spiritual disciplines. They still attend services on Sundays. They still maintain friendships with those in the church. They keep seeking God. They remain committed. These are the types of people that Screwtape warns his nephew Wormwood about in the Screwtape letters. This is what he says. These two demons Be not deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, the enemy being God himself, looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. This person has doubts, but he or she isn't looking for a way out. They're holding on because they know that there is something worth staking their eternity on, if it is true. And their intent in entertaining their questions and their doubts is to see if their eternity, if their life is really worth hanging their life on. Do you know what honest doubt looks like? There is, for us, in John chapter 6, this incredible scene where... There are a bunch of disciples following Jesus, and they've listened to what Jesus has said, and they say, this is a hard saying. They hear what Jesus has said, and they they grumble when they hear it. And Jesus, being Jesus, being the confounding Jesus, he just says to them more words that further frustrate them. And if you look at the text, John chapter 6, it tells us that after hearing Jesus' words, Many disciples turned away and no longer walked with him. And I'll read it from uh, verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, of which Thomas was one, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. These disciples were just as frustrated as the rest, except they made the decision to continue holding on to Christ. Where else will they go for the words of eternal life? Honest doubt acknowledges that we don't have everything figured out, but we know that there's nowhere else to go. Uh, if you are familiar with the Netflix series The Crown, um, I hear it's really popular right now, there is one episode in which uh, it, there the the members of royalty, they're processing what has happened. So in 1966, there is a coal mine, in the coal mining town um, in South Wales, there's a huge pile of debris that breaks loose and it buries everything in its path, including a school. And in this event, 144 people were killed. Of these, 116 of them were children. And this show, it shows us how members of the royal family responded to the tragedy. Prince Philip, he visits the town and he attended the mass funeral. And when he returns, the queen asks him how it went. He shakes his head and he replies, Extraordinary. The grief 
the anger at the government, at the coal board, but at God too. 81 children were buried today. The rage on all the faces, behind all the eyes. They didn't smash things up. They didn't fight in the streets. The queen asked Prince Philip, so what did they do? In his reply, they sang. The whole community. It's the most astonishing thing I've ever heard. This is Honest Doubt. Honest Doubt sings. Honest Doubt understands that there are some things that we can't figure out. There are enigmas and paradoxes to the Christian faith that confound us. It's an, an acknowledgement that Romans 11 is true. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Honest doubt says that God is this. His ways are not my ways. And yet I will still continue to worship him. I think of the words of Rich Mullins who said this. If you want a religion that makes sense, then I suggest something other than Christianity. But if you want a religion that makes life, then I think this is the one. And this is not at all to say that we, we, what we believe cannot withstand the rigors of intellectual doubt. And that we shouldn't labor to understand and, and study what we believe. And that we shouldn't train ourselves to defend our faith. This is what we call apologetics, the, the study of what is true and how to defend what we believe. And we should absolutely study these things. We should be ready to give an answer when people have questions. But know this, our faith is not a math problem. Our faith is a relationship with the holy an infinite living God of the universe who can never ever be fully comprehended by human minds. This is our faith. So these are the two ways to doubt. There is unbelieving doubt and believing doubt. One of them is looking for a way out. The other is looking for a way in. One of them is looking for questions to justify unbelief. The other is looking for answers to the normal questions that we all have. So these are the two ways to doubt. Our second point, the heart of Jesus toward Thomas. So look at the text. The first thing that Jesus says to the disciples and specifically to Thomas in this passage is this, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I want us to think about how Thomas approached, how Jesus approached Thomas. Jesus knows his fear and his grief. He knows his skepticism. He knew that for eight days he sat in unbelief after all his other disciple friends went to him and told him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's risen from the dead. Jesus knows all these things. But how does he react? How does he respond to Thomas? He comes with peace. And this is the heart of Jesus toward Thomas. Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, we're, we're told that Jesus knows what's in the hearts of men. And he knows the disbelief of Thomas now. He knows that he will not believe until he touches the very wounds of Christ. 
In other words, Jesus wants the physical Jesus as he had known him before his death. And Jesus, he, he looks at this, he discerns that what Thomas wants is for him to relate to Jesus in the way that he did before the resurrection. And Jesus knows that this is not just mere doubt. This is a rebellion because he refuses to relate to God on his own terms. This is not mere doubt. It's rebellion. This is disbelief. Remember again the word that Thomas uses. He uses, uses this conditional word, unless. Thomas can only think of relating to Jesus, to Jesus in one way, and he puts conditions around his belief. But Jesus doesn't berate him for his disbelief. Instead, what does he do? He invites him to look at his wounds. He says, Thomas, put your fingers in my scars. Jesus is coming to Thomas as the crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected Savior of the world. And he is those things, but he also comes to Thomas as a friend. There's such patience and tenderness here for Thomas. So Jesus presents his scars, and these are evidence not just of his saving, redemptive work for all who would ever believe, but these wounds, these scars are evidence of his love for Thomas. Thomas, do you see these wounds? These wounds are for you. I think of the lyrics to the Augustus Tablati hymn where our church gets its name. Um, if you didn't know, our church gets indelible grace, this phrase from a hymn written several hundred years ago. And here are some of the lines from this hymn. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. The wounds of Jesus are evidence and testimony of the fact that you are loved. And here for Thomas, Jesus says to him, Thomas, do you understand how loved you are? A.W. Pink points out the significance of this gesture. Jesus pointed out that that which memorialized the ground on which true peace rests. The Lord went back to the first principles with this erring disciple. Thomas needed to be established in the truths taught by the pierced hands and the side of the Savior. And therefore he got just what was required to restore his wandering soul. It was a sight of the Savior's wounds which scattered all Thomas's doubts, overcame his self-will and brought him to the feet of Christ as an adoring worshiper. Jesus offers his wounds. He offers the evidence of his sacrificial work that was done on Thomas's behalf. It was the sin of Thomas that was laid on Jesus as the wrath of the Father was poured out on him on the cross. And those wounds are evidence of Jesus' love for Thomas. Jesus accommodates Thomas. Notice that we're not told if Thomas ever even touches the wounds of Jesus, and yet he responds to Jesus in worship. What we see here is this, that it's not the evidence that Thomas was demanding that convinces him, it's the presence of Jesus that convinces him. And it doesn't just convince him, it changes him. 
And this is what we need to know, whether or not you're a Christian. If you're approaching the Christian faith with doubt and skepticism, we say to you, welcome to our church. Welcome to our community. We say, ask the difficult questions and do the hard work of studying and see if the reasons for belief are compelling. And once you've collected enough evidence and once you've processed all the data points and once all your questions are answered, you will be intellectually satisfied. But you won't be changed. Because none of this matters unless Christ really is risen from the dead and unless he is really, actually, truly present with us. If you do not believe, what you need more than anything is to experience the presence of Jesus, this living, actual person. This was true for C.S. Lewis, who was overwhelmed with grief after losing his wife. He was under this heavy, heavy weight of grief and sorrow, and he tried to figure out, God, why did this happen? I don't understand the way you work. And after he had asked all the questions, after he had done all the reading, this was his conclusion. I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face questions die away, what other answer would suffice? More than anything, Jesus gives us himself. And let this passage be a challenge to all of us are you just seeking answers to satisfy your intellectual curiosity or are you looking for the presence of jesus if it's not the presence of jesus none of this really matters and this is also a challenge for those of us who call our church home igc home the way that jesus approaches his approaches Thomas is a model for our church and I hope that we'll love disbelievers and doubters the same way that Jesus did and I'm not talking just about those who are not yet Christians but for those who have a hard time trusting God and believing his promises for those who are discouraged and don't have strength to go on and this is just about every single person listening to this right now Every single person at Indelible Grace Church goes through seasons of questions and doubt and disbelief and discouragement. Even your pastors, even your elders, even your staff. So may this passage be a challenge to us. Notice that this whole story takes place in the context of community. Jesus has risen from the dead. And the first people to, to realize that is are the women. These women go to the disciples and report to them what they've seen, this empty tomb of Jesus. The disciples don't believe until Jesus comes and appears to them. And then they go tell their friend Thomas, but he doesn't believe it. And yet this all takes place in the context of community. So for us, may there be a patience and compassion and grace for those who question. May we walk alongside each other as we ask difficult questions. One of the saddest things that happened in a previous ministry 
a previous season of ministry at IGC was watching one of our friends fall away from the faith. And this was a brother who was heavily involved in the life of the church, someone that many of us loved and we still love. So many conversations were had as he was processing these questions. So many conversations were had, so many tears were shed, so many prayers were prayed. And our brother, he ultimately ended up renouncing the faith. And we were heartbroken. And we still are heartbroken. But I'm so proud of the way that many of our people in our church talked to him and prayed with him and prayed for him. So many of our people loved him through this process. And if there are more like him among us in our community, and I'm certain there are, may our church be a place that continues to be like that, where we pray for each other, where we fight for the faith of each other. May IGC never be a place where questions and doubts fester in isolation. But may our church be a place where doubts and questions can be asked and that our people will love these brothers and sisters well enough to answer and even when they can't answer, sit with them. May our words and actions reflect the heart of Christ, who loves those who can't believe yet. And finally, before I go on to the next point, a word for those who are skeptical, for those who have a difficult time believing. You should know that it's okay to have questions. You should know that these are normal. But you should know that you will almost certainly be unsuccessful in finding the truth about Jesus if you're trying to do it on your own. You need to be around people who can't, who, who won't just answer your intellectual questions and read books with you. These are good things. These are necessary. But more than anything, you need to believe, be around other people that know Jesus as a friend, who have a personal, have this a dynamic relationship who abide in Christ. This is the way that you're going to know Christ as he's presented in this passage. You have to be in community. You have to have relationships with others if you want to find the truth about Jesus. And finally, our last point, peace for believers. So I just mentioned a moment ago that Jesus comes to Thomas with peace. Verse 27, that's what he says. Peace be with you. And this is what Thomas gets when he goes from unbelief to belief. When he does this, he goes from a conditional belief to full surrender and full worship. Look at Thomas's response in verse 28. What does he, does he say? He says, my Lord and my God. Conditional belief transforms into unconditional surrender and worship. Do you see how peace and belief relate to each other in this passage? Thomas didn't have peace until he believed. And next week, Pastor Michael is going to preach on the next two verses of chapter 20. Um, verse 31, I'm going to uh, read it uh, ahead of time. It tells us that the purpose of the entire gospel of John is this. This is what verse 31 says. These things were written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. 
This is the ultimate purpose of John's gospel, is that so those who read it, those who hear the word will believe. And the inclusion of Thomas's story in today's passage is to put an exclamation mark on this purpose statement. If you remember the prologue of John in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is referring to Jesus. And the God in John 1 is the same God who Thomas worships in John 20. In Thomas, we see a picture of disbelief turning into belief, of conditional submission turning into unconditional worship when he comes face to face with Jesus. And so it is with us. The only way that we'll have peace is when we see Jesus for who he really is, when we surrender to him, when we can say, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my God, you have every right to every part of me. Lead me where you want me to go. I will follow you. We have to worship Jesus as God of very God, and this is the only way that we will have peace. This is the blessedness that Jesus speaks of in verse 29. To know and enjoy the presence of Jesus as revealed by the Holy, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we respond to him, him in worship, we are fulfilling our, our purpose as human beings. This is what we were created for, to worship King Jesus. We cannot know peace until our, our lives conform to the purpose for which we were created. Blessed are those who have not yet seen but still believe. We don't need to physically experience Jesus because the message he's given us through the apostles, of which Thomas was one of them, is enough. We exercise this belief by hearing their word through the scriptures and by participating in the life of the body of Christ. This is the belief that leads to peace. So for those of us who are listening, may this be true of us. May God open our eyes to the risen Christ, who's risen from the dead. May we fall at his feet and say, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, I belong to you. You are my Lord. I will follow you when that happens and may we have peace. Will you pray with me? Father God, we admit that we are full of questions and doubts. Sometimes we are lazy in our pursuit of you. And yet your heart toward us is so warm and tender, so full of love. You welcome us with open arms because the gospel is true. Because you love us enough to give yourself to us, God. So God, I pray that this would transform us. I pray that we would be a people who love you and worship you call you our Lord and our God. This is where we will find peace in the risen Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.